we're going to turn to two places, uh, Matthew chapter 18 uh, and then Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> Sorry that I have to hold the microphone there, uh, but that's so everybody can, can hear. Um, in Matthew chapter 18, we, uh, we'll start here with verse, uh, with verse 18. Uh, here, Jesus is talking in a corporate context. Uh, verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So there's a, a corporate dynamic that's going on here uh, in what he says with these next few verses. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, I think I like the word magnanimity better, uh, but that's okay. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, page turn, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, today is the, uh, the last in this uh, sermon series that I started uh, pre-COVID-19 uh, about men and women in Christ. I did several weeks uh, for men about uh, how men rise up, O men of God, uh, and, uh, and now this is the fourth week I've done with women. Step forward in faith, uh, O women of God. Uh, so uh, this uh, kind of close us out uh, on the set. Beginning uh, next week, uh, I'm going to start a, a new series of talks really focusing on what's happening in our world right now, and particularly on what we as Christians are to do, how we can make a deeper response to what is happening around us, build our faith, and what is needed for the times that we are in, some of the obstacles that we might face, uh, and how to overcome those, because uh, we are in a battle, uh, and the battle will go on for some time yet. But I felt like, the, the Lord wanted me to finish with this series uh, before I move on uh, to, a, to another one. And so uh, 
One of the things I've learned from Karen, uh, uh, one of the many, 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 many things that I've learned from my wife, uh, was an understanding of how men and women deal with conflict differently. Uh, I kind of always assumed that we were all about the same on it, uh, but really uh, she alerted me to this, and then, then I've seen this uh, over the years uh, after she alerted me to this, that we really do handle conflict uh, very, very differently. For example, uh, if I'm with uh, maybe Olashina, who I think is watching here, and, and Olashina and I, we have a big disagreement about Nigerian politics, uh, and we're going head-to-head -head on this. And, and I say, you know, Olashina, I think your view is absolutely idiotic. You know, you can't have that kind of view. And, and, and Olashina says, well, Rod, you know, as a, a light-colored guy from the other side of the world, you don't really have a, a, a lot to say into this situation. We just go at one another for a while on this. And then afterwards, you say, well, hey, uh, let's go out and get a pizza. Okay. And then we're fine. I mean, there's no big deal about it. Uh, but oftentimes... Uh, when women get into conflict, uh, a lot of times the things that they say, their ideas and their thoughts and perceptions are really connected very strongly in with their sense of identity. Which means that sometimes when women have conflict uh, with men or with one another, uh, they can get invested in that conflict actually quite heavily uh, and the conflict can be very distressing and very upsetting. And what I've learned as a pastor of a church for, for more than 30 years now, what I've learned is that when two strong women in any church that I've led start having a, a conflict with one another, it affects everybody. I mean, it really, really just brings everything down. Now, in this series, I've been talking about the kinds of things that will deflect women from moving forward in their calling and destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've said very strongly, our conviction here at City Temple is that women have a ministry just as men have a ministry. Women have a calling just as men have a calling. We are all sons of God in Jesus Christ, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3. We all have the rights of sons of God. We all have the ministries of sons of God. And, uh, and you can't say that women are more important. You can't say that men are more important. We're all very, very important. Uh, and also, you can't just relegate women to the kitchen uh, or to do housework or something like that, even in, in the church, in the, in the body of Christ. Uh, and so it's important for women to be able to step forward into their calling and destiny in Jesus to become the women of God that God has called them to be so that God's kingdom will advance. And when men and women are working together, ministering together, serving the Lord together, there is power released in the kingdom. And that happens even when women are working together. Over the last 30 years, I have seen time after time after time, too many times uh, to mention really how often when a group of women got together in the body of Christ and set their mind to doing something, it got done. Whether that was feeding homeless people uh, or whether that was uh, providing for some missionary uh, or whether that was getting people more involved in Bible study uh, or that was getting people more involved in prayer. You know, whatever that ministry was, uh, when the women in the church set their minds together to do it, uh, it was powerful 
and it's had a tremendous impact. And that's been true not only the past 30 years in my own experience, that's been true the last 2,000 years in the global church's experience. Women working together throughout history have been a vital part of the kingdom advancement of God. And that's why if you got a couple of women in the church that start having a fight and having a disagreement and arguing with one another and having a falling out, it has a terrible impact on the church. And we see this actually even in the scriptures. In this context here, we're reading in, in, in the church in Philippi, there are two women, uh, Yodia and Syntyche, who were having problems with one another. They were having a fight. They were having a conflict with one another that was completely distressing to the church. Now, understand the language here that Paul uses indicates that Yodia and Syntyche were not just casual church members that sat at the back of the church. They were actually leaders in that particular part of the body of Christ. They had a vital ministry. They were leaders. They were important. And so the fact that they were disagreeing was causing a lot of problems in the church. And so their conflict was very, very significant, so much so that Paul says here, I exhort these women to get along. Uh, it's like Paul says, hey, 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 ladies, get over it and get along because you're too important for the kingdom of God to be having this dispute. Why were they fighting? What was happening here? We really don't know. I mean, any scholar that you know, would purport to tell you, uh, they're just making it up because we don't. We don't. But I would like to think that perhaps it was because of one of a number of different types of conflict that I've seen amongst women uh, in churches over these last 30 years, and actually even before that, even in church growing up. Uh, there actually are a number of highly predictable and very common types of conflicts that happen amongst women in churches. Uh, I call these syndromes uh, because it's not a one-issue kind of thing. You, know, you can't say that they, they fight over the color of the carpet because it's more than the color of the carpet uh, there's a lot more to do, to do with it. So a syndrome is just a characteristic combination of attitudes, emotions, and behaviors. Attitudes, emotions, and behaviors. And sometimes they're very difficult to pin down, but if you take a step back from them, taking a more of a big picture look, you can kind of see how they are functioning. You might say, that these are very predictable sin patterns that happen uh, largely amongst women. Now, men have their own sin patterns. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying that the women are the sinners and the men are the holy ones. Uh, that's not true at all. But again, men fight differently. And when we have conflict, it's, it expresses itself differently, has a different kind of cycle to it uh, than one of these six syndromes that you see uh, often amongst women. And, and I'm not saying that all these are exhaustive. There are other ones, uh, but I want to mention these, uh, these six briefly. The first one is one of the biggest ones, 
Uh, it's what Karen calls, I'm blaming her. Uh, you see, I, as much as I can put on Karen at this stage, it's really safer for me. Uh, because one thing that I have learned in the last 30 years is that I do not want to be the center of conflict amongst women in the church. Uh, so, so, you know, uh, I'll just pass that to Karen. Oh, no, Karen doesn't want that either. Okay. Uh, but anyway, that's too bad because I've got the microphone. Uh, oh, although she could turn me off there or write rude things on the chat. So I better be careful. Okay, the first one, number one, one of the most common is what we call the queen bee syndrome. The queen bee syndrome. Now, the key issue of the queen bee syndrome, who is in charge? Who is in charge? Uh, in the queen bee syndrome, women jostle for leadership, and then they'll try to sabotage or even kill, metaphorically, not literally, uh, they'll try to kill the, com uh, the competition that she has. So it's, it's which woman is going to be in charge, which woman is going to have uh, her ideas put forward, uh, which woman is going to be the center or the focus. Uh, and there can only be one, uh, in, in the queen bee syndrome uh, attitude, there can only be one leader. Uh, there can't be multiple women leaders. And the queen bee syndrome is the source of quite a bit of conflict in churches. Then the second one we'd call the magpie syndrome. The magpie syndrome. That's the bird, the magpie. And the key issue of the magpie syndrome is where one woman has envy or jealousy toward another woman in Christ. It's about envy or jealousy. Uh, it often happens when a woman sees something that uh, in another woman or some quality that that other woman has that the first woman wants for herself. Now, this is not bad. I mean, if you, if you see somebody who is uh, musically gifted and, and they're part of the worship team and you're out in the congregation and you say, wow, I wish I could sing like that. Or, I want to be part of the worship team. Uh, and so I want to grow in that. There's nothing wrong with seeing that talent or seeing that ability and say, I would like that for myself. But what happens with the magpie syndrome is that just like the magpies themselves, they try to steal things from other birds. Uh, this woman will try to steal what she sees somehow or undermine the woman in whom she sees it rather than seeking to develop the quality in herself. You know, so if you see that woman up uh, who's a good singer and, and you like to sing and you'd like to be part of the worship team, Rather than uh, trying to get that woman off the worship team or sometimes uh, rather than trying to undermine that woman, start spreading rumors that she can't sing or, or the like, uh, you start taking voice lessons yourself. You start working on your ability to worship and to lead worship. And then you start asking for a role in the worship team. So you build that quality in yourself. Uh, I've seen this happen in, in a number of other ways in, in the prophetic you know, I've seen some, some women who have a strong prophetic gift, other women who want that kind of gift, but instead of seeking the Lord and growing in intimacy with the Lord to get the gift, uh, she tries to go into competition with the other prophetic woman or undermine the other prophetic woman or attack the other prophetic woman to try to steal away what she has. And that will cause conflicts, uh, and that's the magpie syndrome. Then a third one, uh, and yes, it's another animal here, uh, is the mockingbird syndrome. Don't worry, they're not all animals. 
the mockingbird syndrome. Now, the key issue in the mockingbird, just like mockingbirds, they sing the same old song over and over again, or they sing somebody else's song over and over again. Uh, the key issue in the mockingbird syndrome is maintaining offense and unforgiveness, holding on to offense and unforgiveness. This happens when women choose to take offense. Now, remember what we say here very clearly is that no one can give you offense unless you choose to take it. No one can give it to you unless you decide to take it. It's a choice that you make. So in the Mockingbird Syndrome, a woman will choose to take offense and then refuse to let it go. And then she will regurgitate it and recirculate it time and time again. So every chance she gets, it's like blah. Uh, puking up the offense again, uh, or trying to circulate it around, telling other people about her offense. Uh, and, uh, and so what happens in the Mockingbird Syndrome, people repeatedly bring up past offenses in every situation they can. Uh, they refuse to forgive and release whatever perceived offense that they've received. And sometimes the Mockingbird Syndrome will go on for years. Women will hold these grudges for many, many years. I've seen this uh, in a, quite a number of churches where I'll be talking to somebody and they'll, uh, a, a woman, she'll bring up a, a problem that she's had. And I say, well, you know, when, when did you have that problem? And it was like 15, 20 years ago. But she's still holding on to it. She's still bringing it up. She still refuses to forgive and let it go. And again, that will lead to conflict in churches uh, and really undermine the life of churches. The next syndrome is what we call the Martha syndrome, the Martha syndrome. And the key issue here is craving the credit or the attention for what you're doing. So people with the Martha syndrome um, uh, are are trying to serve and, and they're doing a lot of things, but they're doing it not just because they want to serve, they're doing it because they want other people to pay attention to them, they want other people to acknowledge them, they want the credit for the, the kinds of things that they're doing, and they can't release this. Uh, sometimes uh, women can have an unspoken competition about who is sacrificed the most. Uh, I've sometimes seen this in what, uh, a unique American phenomenon called the potluck supper, where everybody brings a pot to share. And you can often tell a couple of women who have the Martha syndrome because they're each trying to outdo one another every time they bring something to share. So, you know, one month, one woman, if, if that looks, hers looks better, then somebody else will try to bring something nicer the next month and, and get, in, get into that, that kind of attention. Um, and the other dynamic that happens is that if you have the Martha syndrome, you start to feel that you have earned the right to complain about something. So you start to think, well, I've served this church for 30 years, so it's my right to complain about the minister or the elders or, or my neighbors or other women, or, you know, because I've earned the right to complain by all the serving and all the good, good deeds that I've done. Uh, or... They, they feel like they've earned the right to complain about other women who are not doing what they've been doing. You know, so you could see this again, and, and some, a woman who really enjoys doing the dishes, it's, it's kind of hard for me to imagine, but my mom was that kind of woman. 
uh, but say, you know, somebody's doing the dishes and, and they just step in, they do the dishes all the time, but then after a while they start complaining about all the other women or all the other men, most likely, who haven't joined them in doing the dishes. Uh, and that's a bit of a manifestation of the Martha syndrome. And again, it will lead to fights and conflicts in the church. Then the fifth syndrome that I'd mentioned here briefly is what I call the know-it-all syndrome. The know-it-all syndrome. The key issue about the know-it-all syndrome is believing that you are right about some matter of opinion, practice, or procedure, which means that others are wrong. Now, I'm not talking about scriptural knowledge, the kind of thing where you can go to the Bible and you can investigate it in the scriptures and come out with a difference of opinion or, or wrestle through what the text means to, to come to another, another opinion. But I'm talking about, um, you know, if in some churches I've seen, if your politics are different than the majority of people in the church, there's a problem with you. I've seen this in some uh, Republican-dominated uh, dominated churches in the U.S. where most of the people are Republicans, and if they have somebody who comes who's a Democrat and that word gets out, you know, then you know, the, the woman might try to set that Democrat straight uh, and straighten up their politics. Uh, or it might be the way of doing something. Uh, you know, one woman says, well, we've got two sinks here. We start from the right and move to the left. But the other woman says, no, we need to start from the left and move to the right. And I've seen arguments develop over that kind of thing. You know, what, what's the best way to do this? What's the best practice? And that comes out of this know-it-all syndrome. It happens when a woman thinks she has the best information or the right information or the right way of doing things and then takes it upon herself to correct or cajole other women into doing it her way. Oftentimes, a woman with a know-it-all syndrome, if she can't just be a bit rude and, and pushy, if that doesn't happen, then she'll just keep after you. She'll just keep pecking away, pecking away until you decide to give in and do it her way. Now, this often will involve gossip, unrighteous criticism, uh, indirect attack, and especially recruiting a group of people who share that woman's opinion and the perception that she knows it all. Uh, so whenever you see a woman kind of gathering other women around her to build up an army that supports her opinion about something, then you know that you found somebody with the know-it-all syndrome. And again, uh, I've seen so many conflicts caused in the body of Christ because of this syndrome, and so many churches weakened because of it. The final one that I'd, I'd mention, and there's probably more, but I call this last one God's little helper syndrome. God's little helper. The key issue here is women playing the role of the Holy Spirit in other women's lives. You know, only the Holy Spirit has the right to correct our character. Only the Holy Spirit has the right to convict us with regard to sin. But in God's little helper syndrome, we, we get tired. A woman gets tired of waiting for the Holy Spirit to act. And so she takes up the role of correcting other women's characters or suggesting what other women should do in the church. Uh, many times that uh, the conversation will be, uh, the God's little helper will come up to you and say, well, you know, 
you really should start a women's ministry. You really should start uh, a food bank. You really should start a homeless shelter. You really should do this. You really should start a Bible study. And the thing that I've learned about God's little helpers is that they never really help. They say, you should, you should, you should an awful lot. But when I turn it around and say, you know, in my experience, if God's put that on your heart, it probably means that you should do that. Uh, they have never, and I mean in 30 years, the woman with God's little helper syndrome has never taken up the charge to do what she wanted other people to do. Now the problem is with God's little helper that if you can't get other women to do what you want them to do right away, then you'll try to manipulate, gossip, or shame the woman into doing what you think she should do, uh, or you'll try to manipulate, gossip, or shame her into correcting some character flaw that you perceive that she has. And obviously, that always causes problems in churches, and I have seen so much conflict come up from women trying to be God's little helper instead of saying, okay, God, I see this in, in my sister. I pray that you would awaken that in her heart uh, or say, God, I see this, this issue in her life that maybe is holding her back. I pray, Lord, that you would just soften her heart and speak to her yourself. And, you know, instead of praying, we try to take over and do it ourselves. It never works. By the way, it doesn't work in, in uh, marriages either, women. Uh, if you're, you're trying to be God's little helper in your marriage, uh, it never works. It never works. In fact, it can be counterproductive. It can be counterproductive in all situations because if you take a person's issue with God and make it your issue with the person, uh, the person will focus a lot of, a lot of uh, anxiety and anger on you instead of taking it to God where it belongs. Now, what happens when women are falling victim or, particip or are participating in one of these six syndromes or maybe another one that you've identified uh, in the body of Christ? Uh, and I think that there are three things that are suggested by the text in what Paul is trying to do here right after he, he addresses uh, his friend uh, pleading with Yodia and Syntyche. Uh, and in Understand often with Paul, he will point something out and then point something positive things as, as a clue for people. This is the direction we should go. And I think that there are three things uh, uh, that happen that we can see in, in these verses here in the text. When there are conflicts in the church among women, especially women leaders in the church. The first one, and probably the biggest one, is that it generates anxiety in the church. It creates and generates, increases anxiety in the body of Christ. And anxiety is a highly destructive force. Uh, I did a, a talk about anxiety in the time of COVID-19 that's up on the SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com forward slash city-temple uh, that if you want to look at and download it, you'll, you'll read a, or hear a little bit more about how to overcome anxiety. But anxiety is a powerful force. It's infectious. It's always destructive. It always distorts things. It always creates problems. And that, I believe, is the primary reason that Paul wrote verses 4 to 7. 
when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your magnanimity, your openness, your generosity be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what Paul is doing here, he is giving the Philippians the antidote to the anxiety that was being caused by Yodia and Syntyche and their disagreement, their argument, their conflict in the body of Christ. And the fact that Paul was addressing this, understand this had to be something that was protracted. It wasn't just a one-off. We were angry with each other yesterday, but we aren't today. Because remember, letters took time to travel. So this was an issue. So the, the biggest thing is that it generates anxiety in the church Uh, which really undermines the effectiveness and the health of the church. So we have to be very careful. It's very powerful when it does. And and I think sometimes that the arguments amongst women are even more powerful than the arguments arguments amongst men in undermining that. I'm not sure why that is, uh, but certainly in my experience that has been the case. The second thing uh, that I think happens here It breaks our companionship. Uh, Notice how Paul referred to his friend as my fellow companion. Uh, And the idea of companionship here literally means yoke fellow, somebody who is sharing the yoke. In the church of Jesus Christ, we have a common yoke. In any local church, we have a common yoke together for ministry and mission. God has brought us together together. God has tied us together. God has united us together so that we will engage in ministry together, so that we will fulfill God's mission together. We'll see the kingdom of God advance together, and we've been connected together so that we will do this faithfully and productively. When there is conflict, particularly amongst women in the church, what happens is that yoke is broken. That sense of companionship is broken. We start to wonder who can we trust. We don't feel like we can work with one another any longer. Uh, And that can be quite devastating. Uh, The third thing here is that it weakens the effectiveness of our fight together for the gospel. When when Paul talks about people who have labored with him side by side, that, that word there, It's really like we've fought together. We're fighting together. We're we're in warfare. And listen, right now, you know, we we know in our world right now, we are in massive spiritual warfare that's global around all the issues that come with this COVID-19 situation. This is a massive, massive problem right now. And we need to be together, and we need to be strong, and we need to be unified because we've got spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that we've got to fight. And if women in the church are arguing with one another, it undermines our ability to fight for the gospel, to see God's kingdom advance, to see people saved and come to a fresh relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we can see when there's conflicts amongst women in our churches, it can have a devastating impact. But there's a power when we follow Paul's exhortation to agree in the Lord. And this really 
is the, the solution to the problem of these syndromes that we've been talking about. It's very simple here, although it can be very challenging. We need to agree in the Lord. He says, I entreat, I'm exhorting. Uh, it's a very strong word, yodia and syntyche, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. But what does this mean? What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we just have the same opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that we agree to disagree. Uh, agreement, the word agreement here is a very strong word. It's not the, the weak word that we often use today when somebody says something and we say, oh yeah, I agree with you. But you can agree with somebody in that, that kind of language without doing anything about it. For, so for example, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I went to the cinema before the virus. I, I went to the cinema and I saw this film and it was great uh, and you really should go. And, and, and I say, oh, wow, that sounds like a great movie. I agree with you. I should go. But then I don't go. That's not agreement. So it's, it's more than just having the same opinion. When you agree in the Lord about something, you're committing to it together. So it literally means to set our minds together on the Lord Jesus and his will. That's what it's all about. It's saying we, we agree, we're going to set our minds and focus our minds together so that together we do the will of God in Jesus Christ. It's a focus of our minds. It, it, it means if we agree in the Lord that often we must relinquish our own preferences and agendas. We're going to have to do things that we don't want to do or do things in a way that we don't quite like, but that's part of agreeing with the Lord. And there's a number of indicators that we are uh, agreeing in the Lord. Uh, one indicator in any church is that the leadership amongst the women is rotating based on gifting and fruitfulness. Leadership rotates based on gifting and fruitfulness. Now, I've seen uh, in some churches, uh, you might have uh, a women's lunch Bible study. Not now, but uh, maybe sometime in the future or sometime in the past, you have this women's lunch Bible study. And if the, the woman who's leading the Bible study oftentimes is not the best woman to prepare the lunch. And so you've got to rotate that leadership. So you need to allow perhaps one woman to prepare the lunch, one woman to prepare her home, one woman to prepare the Bible study, one woman to, to lead singing, if you're going to have a time of sung worship, uh, and each one has to lead in turn. By the way, this is true amongst men as well. It's not just amongst women. Uh, but it's amongst men, there will be a rotating leadership based on gifting and fruitfulness, what you do well. A second thing, if you're agreeing in the Lord, you will show humility and magnanimity, what Paul in the ESV calls reasonableness. Magnanimity is such a great word. It means that you'll be open and generous and gracious in your attitude toward other people. So not only will you be humble, but you'll be open toward others, uh, and that will happen if you're agreeing in the Lord. If people aren't being humble, if people aren't being magnanimous, they're certainly not agreeing in the Lord. A third indicator that we're agreeing in the Lord 
is that you will show grace, mercy, and forgiveness, especially where there are disagreements and misunderstandings. And there are going to be a lot of disagreements and misunderstandings. So you just need to be assuming the best for the other people. Be merciful to them. Sometimes we all have bad days where we have bad attitudes and things. And we need to forgive quickly. And when that's happening, when we're showing grace, mercy, and forgiveness, you can tell that we are agreeing in the Lord. Uh, and according to Ephesians 5.21, we'll be cooperating with one another out of reverence for Christ. Whenever there's that mutual submission to one another, it's a sign that we're agreeing in the Lord. And so we really must push through to agree in the Lord, to set our minds together on the Lord Jesus and His will and be determined that we will give up our own attitudes and our own sense of rights and and, and the like, in order to come to a unified mind, agreeing together in the Lord. Uh, and the benefits of this are immense. I mean, one, when we agree together in the Lord, we resolve these conflicts. I mean, these conflicts will melt away. We'll, we'll always have a bit of a conflict, but the conflicts need to be dealt with uh, well, and then they need to be resolved quickly, uh, and we can do that when we are agreeing in the Lord. Another, another benefit, we overcome our differences, or even more importantly, we maximize our differences. You know, God has not created every human being the same. And certainly God has not created every woman the same. Sometimes uh, I've been with, with, in churches with women. Now, now, I'm not talking about the men. I'm talking about with the women who believe that every woman should love to cook, every woman should love to do dishes, uh, every woman should want to raise children, uh, every woman should want to do these things, uh, every woman should maybe not really want a career or should only want to work if it's absolutely necessary outside the home. And guess what? Not every woman is like that. And, so, and that's a good thing. Because we need the differences amongst us in the body of Christ so that the church together is stronger. So we need to maximize our differences, but the only way we can do that is if we are agreeing in the Lord. Agreeing in the Lord. Uh, we become also more healthy and more effective as a church when we agree in the Lord. And Jesus actually makes us three promises there in Matthew 18. And these three promises all come when we agree in the Lord. Not just the middle one, but all three promises. The first one is that whatever we bind and whatever we loose shall be bound and loosed in heaven. Now, I don't have time to go into, into depth explaining that, but it simply means that we will have power when we agree in the Lord, we will have power to affect things in the heavenly places. There is a real power that comes to us, a spiritual power through our agreeing in the Lord. Right now, our city, London, or whatever city you're in, if you're in another city looking at this, our city right now needs Christians to agree in the Lord against anxiety, against fear, and against the demonic principalities that are trying to manipulate people in the city right now. And we can, if we are agreeing in the Lord, we have authority to bind and loose uh, in that way. 
He says, too, if we agree together in prayer, our Father is going to respond accordingly. So if we're agreeing in the Lord, there's a dynamic where God delights in answering our prayers and promises to answer our prayers. But that only happens when we're really agreeing in the Lord, not, not just, oh, yeah, let's, let's just pray for Bubba and that Bubba be healthy. I mean, that's good. But when we agree in the Lord, that means we really focus in on prayer for Bubba's health according to the will of God. And there's a difference that happens there. Uh, and the third pres- uh, promise, which I love and I believe is true of all of us right now, if we come together in agreement, we will have the presence of Jesus with us. And I think right now, even though we're separated by uh, distance, we're united in this moment in technology, agreeing in the Lord, and Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. And so because there are more than two right now gathering together in his name, Jesus Christ is with all of us wherever we are right now. His presence is with us. And that is a tremendous promise that we have, especially in the times that we live in. Now, frankly, we receive, we experience real spiritual power from God in our righteous agreement in the Lord. When we learn and we practice agreeing in the Lord, amazing things can happen. And I've seen this. I've seen this time after time over the last 50 years of my life in churches around the world, how women agreeing in the Lord accomplish almost anything. They see their cities changed. They see their churches built up. They see the sick healed. They see people fed. They see the poor cared for. They see women in crisis pregnancies uh, supported and set free to carry that baby to term. They see amazing things. They see missionaries supported, and they see women sent forth as missionaries. And this is not true just the last 30, 50 years. This is true of the last 2,000 years. We have little time to waste in our disagreements and our conflicts. It's time for us to rise up. We have little time to waste especially women, don't waste your calling and destiny in the Lord on some petty disagreement. Don't sacrifice what God has for you and God's promises for you, maintaining some 10-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old grudge. Don't sacrifice the blessing of God on your life because you're trying to be in charge, the queen bee. Instead, Let's press in, men and women, to agree in the Lord. Because when we agree in the Lord, the church moves forward in power to the glory and honor of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do love you and we honor you and we exalt you. And I pray, Father, that as a church, as a ministry, that you would really teach us how to agree in the Lord. Uh Uh-oh, we've had a sound crisis. That's not the sound.